This is Honorado and Bagnardi, brought to you by Outfit House. All right, here we go, Shawnee. Uh, live from Alpenhouse Amsterdam Ski Shop, where they have everything you could possibly want mm-hmm. when it comes to being a winter enthusiast, as they say, a skier, a snowboarder. Uh, you want a snowshoe? They've got that, too. All the gear you could possibly want here uh, at Alpenhouse in Amsterdam. All right, Bags, let's look ahead to week 14 here. And as we do that, we've got some potential playoff clinching opportunities ahead of some teams here. But really, if you look at the top of each conference, Mm -hmm. and specifically the NFC, this could be a very defining weekend. You look at the teams that are 10-2, and Arizona, 9-3, and Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Um, There are a, a handful of teams that still are really in play for that one seed. And then I would like just fast forward to the bottom of that conference where you're going to get a team potentially under 500 to make the playoffs. And I would say maybe in all likelihood there will be a team under 500 that makes the postseason. Does that bother you at all that you might get a team that is eight and nine, seven and 10, maybe even that bad in the postseason? I don't love it. Uh, it's something that obviously we've seen before seven and nine in the old days when it was 16 games, right? Seven and nine teams uh, find a way to get in. Um, It doesn't bother me that much because it would be a really tall order for a team like that to then go pull off a major upset. Um, Look, if it's a situation where it's a division, it bothers me less. And that's usually what it has to be is the division winner because otherwise, you know, the wildcard teams is just too many wins there in play. Uh, and it, that just speaks to either a bad division or maybe it could be partially a really competitive division, right? You're bothered less by a division winner yeah. under 500. Right, because if you win the division, you've you've won your division. You deserve a spot. I mean, like I said, other factors can come into play there versus if you're comparing your win-loss record to every other team in the league, right? If it's just those teams in your division, you could have four really good teams who beat the heck out of each other. Now, I know that's not usually the case when you wind up with a team winning the division with an under 500 record. But you obviously have to allow for that. The system has to allow for that. So I'm okay with it. And again, they're less likely to then go pull off an upset. Now, one thing that I don't like about it is a team that wins a division with an under 500 record would then still get a home playoff game, right, as a division right. winner. Right. So that I don't love. Um, I think they should maybe look to change that up. But either way, no, it doesn't – the system is what it is, and if a team gets in and then they make a lot of noise or they run the table, then it's going to look like they deserve to be there anyway. So the, the playoff will answer all the questions. And Matty Torres says, yeah, that Marshawn Lynch game, remember that, where you just ran through the entire New Orleans Saints secondary? That was a 7-9 and nine Seahawks team get the home game against a good Saints squad. I think they were 10-6 and six that year, but obviously with Drew Brees. And um, – and it caused an earthquake. Yeah, he went beast mode. So yeah. um, it can happen where a team pulls off one upset. But you're right, to make a full run at a title, not going to happen. Look, as an NBA guy, you can't say you don't like a team 
reaching the playoffs under 500 happens in the NBA way too often. Yeah, look, I don't, I like it less in a sport like basketball because a lot of times, first of all, again, you're not winning a division in that scenario. You're just one of the middle of the road teams. We, you and I both say that too many teams make the playoffs in basketball and hockey because half the league makes it. But a lot of times the way it shakes out in basketball is like you've got teams at the seven or eight in one conference who don't really belong in the playoffs. And then at the other conference, you've got nines and tens who probably do belong. And it's just the way it happened to shake out. Um, basketball, I'd be more willing to shake up the playoff system and kind of throw everybody in and take the best teams, especially if half the league has to make it because the conferences don't matter. Like the divisions matter in football, right? The divisions really mean something in basketball. The divisions, even the conferences really don't all that much. You obviously have to keep it separated for the purposes of travel in the postseason. But as far as who makes it, I don't know. Should that really be the big difference? All right. Some quick thoughts here on what we saw in week 13. And it was the Monday nighter that, you know, we were all pumped up for. It was part of our pick six vodka selection. Um, did you take the bills or the Patriots? And that I took, no, the, I bills. took the bills. Yeah, me yeah. too. So we lost that one. Mm -hmm. um, but here's what I'm, I want to ask you. New England's got the inside track to home field advantage inside track. Now to that one seed, if they get both top seed, the bye, home field. Are they your favorite to reach the Super Bowl out of the AFC after what they were able to do in Buffalo in a, on a windy night, throw the ball literally three times and three times only, and still win a football game considering the Ravens and the Chiefs and maybe even throw the Bills in there? They still have to get into the playoffs at this point at 7-5 and five now. Is New England your favorite in the AFC if they get that one seed? My immediate reaction is no. Then you think about it a little bit and you can start to talk yourself into maybe a different conclusion because playing at Foxborough is going to be tough for teams, right? Also, having that number one seed in the bye, now you're talking about Belichick having time to prepare. Now, it's not really extra. It's not two weeks to prepare no. for a specific team because you still have to wait and find out who you're playing. But you're talking about getting Belichick prepared in a playoff game at home, yeah, I mean, they've got to win two games at that point. You know, no, 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 I'm not going to do it, Chris. I'm not going to do it. I, I still think Kansas City is just too talented, and they've gotten it together enough. Now, of course, they're in a situation where you would not be shocked at all if they got beat even if they got upset early in the postseason because they've shown they're vulnerable and there are other good enough teams in the conference where you look at, they could really be challenged. So you no. still say Kansas city, the best shot over a team like Tennessee over a team like Baltimore. Yeah. Um, okay. When the playoffs start, you're talking about when the playoffs start, my favorite to get to the Super Bowl. I'm still going to lean on those more talented teams as opposed to maybe the the better prepared team playing the home game at Foxborough. Jeff Casey, good morning, brother. Good to see you. Sam, good morning. Yes. Our guy Jay Pulaski. I'm not sure what the strategy was, Bags, but 
Good morning to you, brother. Uh, our guy, Matty Torres. I think I'm Christmas shopping, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Our guy, Matty Torres. Yeah, we're talking about Pick 6 Vodka, our sponsor for our NFL selections every single week here. He says he needs vodka to watch the Jets. Bags, what do you think? Let's talk about some of some of what is going on with New York football. I'll call it New York football. With New Jersey football at MetLife. You're one of those. You're one of those. You're no, no, you are one of those. I'm tired of Bills fans coming at me about, we were the only team in New York. I know. We get it, okay? No, but things are enough. ugly here with these New York, New Jersey football teams. Bags, look at this. Five times in the last seven drafts, Yep. The Giants have had a pick in the top 10, and they are slated to be there again this year in 2022, where they're projected, I got it here, to have the fourth, I'm sorry, sixth pick. Okay. The sixth pick. What is going on here? Because it feels like they are on the verge of a full reboot again. New GM. Not sold on the quarterback. Right. You know, they'll have two top ten picks because they also get Chicago. So you're going to have a six and five or seven or something like that. You have the opportunity to go quarterback here again if you wanted to, if you're, if you're the Giants. And you haven't made the postseason in what will be six years by the time we get into the 2022-23 season. It's a mess, man. It just feels like the Jets and the Giants – continue to go in circles here looking for the right combination of GM, coach, quarterback. More than anything, that graphic you just put up demonstrates is a poorly run organization. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna say put on paper for me how to not do it, how to how to be a poorly run organization in football, you would say, boy, give a team a bunch of top draft picks and watch them not win. Right? Obviously you can say, look, the guy doesn't work out, it's a bad hire. Was it a bad hire at the time is the question. And if then you can answer it, yes, then fine. I think you can make that argument. But at some point, it's like the person you hire has to do their job too. It's like with Lindor with the Mets, right? It's like, was that a bad move bringing him in because the guy doesn't perform? But again, it's, it's, when that, it's when those decisions are being made, is that how you feel? And I think you did feel that way, that this is, these are not going to be you know, world-beater uh, franchise-changing moves. And now we've seen that not pan out. Look, the Giants took a shot on McAdoo. It, that one didn't work. The problem with Joe Judge was the Giants had made it known they were really targeting other head coaching candidates, mm -hmm. and they didn't get those guys. So it was almost like Judge by default in a weird way. And then he hires Jason Garrett, who's no longer there. Again, it's just a, a trickle effect here when you make one bad decision so high up it really affects everything underneath. You said the foundation, it isn't there because the higher-up hires have failed. So how much blame then do you put on Daniel Jones? Because he's obviously not I – mean, this is not what the Giants were hoping for with that draft pick, right? But we say this all the time, especially with quarterbacks. It's like if they're not in a system with really – super talented guys around them it's they're not going to work out unless you're one of those top superstar players like your brady or your rogers who you could throw out there with 10 idiots and watch them still score points i mean how much of this falls to him no i'm i gettleman is is number one for me well, the, the has to go in your mind though you can get a reboot at all 
So now you're going to be in another situation. Are you, I'm not draft this year. No, I'm not rebooting it this year because I don't love the quarterbacks in this year's draft. So I've got to wait till next year and hope that there's still something there for me because I need to make a decision on Daniel Jones this offseason. And now they're not going – I don't believe they're going to pick up. They might pick up the 50-year rookie option just to be safe, just to know they have him hmm. another two years instead of risking it. That's the safe play. That feels like maybe the Giants thing to do would be to pick up the fifth-year option this offseason. Is he the starting quarterback game one next year? Oh, yeah, for sure. No question. Here's your starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. Jets' That's picture him. is uh, not as pretty as the Giants' ugly setup. <laughs> Jets have picked six times in the last nine drafts in the top ten. Yeah. And they're projected to have the fourth overall pick in 2022. Yeah. Again, feel like they missed on Darnold potentially, right? But don't we put more blame on the GM and the coaching staff at the time? We can debate that. Mm -hmm. Haven't made the playoffs bags in more than a decade. Now, that said, when they made the playoffs in 09 and 10, they went to back-to-back -back AFC championship games. That's 100 years ago. <laughs> uh, again, it's, it's really – it's a similar graphic, so it's going to be a similar discussion here, a similar argument – in terms of this organization just not being run well, would you rather have Zach Wilson or Daniel Jones right now? Ooh, um, I think I would rather have Zach Wilson only because he is uh, not even a full year into a rookie contract. Okay, I have more. I have more time to develop and evaluate Zach Wilson, whereas I feel like. Daniel Jones is going to kind of go the way of Sam Darnold, where we believe he might be able to play quarterback in this league, but it won't be for the Giants. All right, well, let me rephrase it this way. Who do you think has the higher ceiling? Who do you think will have the better NFL career? Um, I'll say Daniel Jones. Okay. Just because I have more faith. It's not based on much at this point, but I have more faith in the Giants organization than the Jets, that if Jones stays with the Giants, they'll figure out a way to get this thing back on track. The Jets, you just don't see it consistently ever from that franchise. True. By the way, this is what I love about doing a show live on location. It probably didn't pick up on, on our mics because they're pretty good, like localized mics. Did you hear that guy just clodding his way through the entire showroom boots it was like couldn't get the boot like not even an inch off the ground before yeah. it, was, it was just one of these pitter patters it's a complete walk around turn turn back and go i love it it's good stuff there are few things that bother me more than people who drag their feet as they walk the scuffers yeah the scuffers i i don't quite understand it you know what though i enjoy it because it's it adds like this element of you just never know you never know what's going to happen and that was nothing as far as something that could that could cause an interruption oh, was yeah. i've made it now an interruption by being an idiot and pointing it out but um that's the kind of thing i like being live on location i mean the clump i just was don't, a I don't it was a clump 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 the people who do that as they walk, you don't hear it? Do you not hear it? How do you not understand? No. The social awareness is not strong. Yeah. 
Okay, Matty Torres here. Let's put this up. It's impossible not to walk like Optimus Prime in ski boots. Here's the thing. These were just, <laughs> these were just his regular boots. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. All right. Is Optimus, he Optimus Prime. He's going. Yeah, I thought it was uh, Omicron Prime. Well, that's something different. All right. How did we do last week? Not well. We no. did not well. And look at the viewer now. The viewer now has a three-game lead on us, over, Sean. Over 500 now, the viewer. As we were both two and four last week, our viewer was five and one. Shout out to Carol Young. Five and one last week, Bags. Whoa. We, the Pick 6 Vodka is getting the best deal of any sponsor, and I say that sitting in Alpen House because we're just sending, we're giving advertisements for them across the entire capital region because every single person who goes against us is walking around with, with vodka swag now throughout the entire area because of how much we stink. We yeah. stink. All right, let's redeem ourselves. Coming up Ooh. after the break here, we will do our Honorado and Bagnardi NFL Pick'em presented by Pick 6 Vodka, live from Alpen House in Amsterdam. Hang on, everyone. Coming right back after this. Teams. Athletes. Organizations. We're transforming the custom apparel industry through product and purpose. Claim your crown. Get outside and play this winter with Alpenhaus. We have Vocal, Atomic, Nordica, Blizzard, Liptech, GNU, K2, and more stock arriving daily. Check out our selection of snowshoes and cross-country too. Perform better with a fresh tune from our in-house experts and the Wintersteiger Mercury Tuning Machine. Alpenhaus, your source for fun for 57 years. Amsterdam and Clifton Park Center. And now, your weekly NFL Pick'em. Presented by Pick 6 Vodka. All right, let's go. Let's really go this week, Bags, okay? okay? Yes. Enough. All right. Let's make this happen. Let's catch the viewer. Let's block the viewer from winning our pick six vodka swag. Enough. All right. I'm ready. Hold on. Should we bring in this? If, if you're live, you play the lottery. There you go. <laughs> There's your <laughs> comment from yeah. uh, if you want to play the lottery, write them down. And if you win, give us a cut of it. All right. Yeah. Let's okay. go. I'm ready. All right. Uh, first game here. Now, typically, we've always said, hey, we're always going to do Jets, Giants, Bills, Patriots. Yep. Guess what? <laughs> How good are the Giants? Stink. How good are the Jets? Stink. They're out. They're both out. Out. Wow. Here's a huge game in the NFC East. Yep. We're picking interesting games now, okay? people, Games that people actually want to sit down and watch. Okay. Fair. I'm watching this one. Dallas and Washington. You know, I picked Washington to win the division. I thought a few weeks ago, forget it. That the, I said on the show that might be, might have been my worst prediction of the year, and here they are mm -hmm. back in the race for the division. We are sitting in Alpenhaus, where 
one of the owners, Andy, Heck, is a diehard Cowboys fan. Yeah. But I'm going to say great things about Washington at this point because the defense is finally playing like the unit we thought it was going to be, like the unit it was last year. Now, Chase Young injury, okay. Take a deep breath. I got some hesitations there. But Heineke is playing effective football. They will win close, tough games. And this is a home game against a division rival. Give me Washington. Oh, stop. Look at you guys. By the way, our guest picker this week is Joe Calderon. Again, check us out on social media. That's where you'll kind of get your cues and your opportunities. If you're watching the show, share the show. If you see other videos of ours, share those as well, and you'll be entered to uh, to take us on here in the Pick 6 Vodka Pick'em. I'm on Washington. Why do you like Dallas? No, it's not really a horrible pick for you, honestly, as much as I scoff at it. You, you got a division game. Expect it to be tight. You take the home team, plus you've got some points to play with here. Let's not forget that. You could still lose this game but still win the bet. Of course. But Dallas is the better team. I still I still think of them – I regard them, I think, higher in the overall picture of the NFC than I did at the beginning of the year. And if they're going to live up to that, what I believe they have become throughout this season here, how I view them now, if they're going to live up to that, this is a game you got to go win. If you're the Cowboys, right? If you lose this, it's kind of like with Buffalo last week. It's like you don't take care of business in that game. Now I'm not so sure about any of the the thoughts I had about this team because I had them projected very high. This is a a road game in the division against a Washington team that's playing really good football. I think you're being a little hard on the Cowboys. You're better than this team. I'm saying if if you're Dallas and you want to view yourself as a class of the NFC, you go beat this football team. I hear football. you. Okay. Okay. Fair. You have to say okay. it twice. You would say, like, you have to go beat this Cowboys football team. So you have to say, you have to go beat this football team, football team. This Dallas football Yeah, the football team, football team. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, look, I'm on Dallas, and I don't love the four and a half, but hopefully they win it by a touchdown for me and, and for Joe. All right. Here's another really good divisional matchup. Ravens at the Browns. Uh, the line surprised me. It opened here. It, it it has stayed at two and a half in Cleveland's favor. So uh, Baltimore has not been great the last couple of weeks, mind you. No. Uh, so yeah, essentially a pick them here. But if I'm going to get the Ravens, who I you know how I feel about the Ravens. I, I still I like them very much. You know how I feel about the Browns. I, I think the Browns are a lay an egg kind of team. And you're going to give me a couple points. It was easy. I'm taking Baltimore. And I just think Baltimore's the better team. I think at some point Lamar Jackson really has a big game. He's struggled a little bit lately here. On the road, a dog. So the dog pound. Calderon's on an island here. Okay. Like we say on the show, look at our track record. It's a good thing to be on an island against the two of us idiots. That's for sure. Another divisional matchup game here. And this is where the NFL is getting it right. And it has to work out, obviously, with records and all that stuff. I get it. But you you pit these divisional opponents against one another late in the year. And it just drums up so much more interest. Raiders, Chiefs. Vegas is a team that nobody can really seem to figure out. At this point, they're so up and down. And Kansas City looks looks like a squad that is now really kind of finally figuring it out. Even though it isn't always pretty. Uh, they have covered the last couple of weeks here. You trust them to cover something as big as 
nine and a half against, against the divisional it's opponent. It's a big number. It, it scared me a little bit, but then I remembered it's Kansas City, and I remembered how they can score points. This team, I am in love with this team. Yeah, I know. I, this to me is sort of the the Golden State team when they were when they were really at the top, not at the top now, but when they were a team that you viewed in you know as championship contenders, which I don't really don't for this Warriors team this year. But we, that's that's a different discussion. Um, because of how they can just kind of flip a switch and, and, and they can put up points in a hurry. And I think that as big as this number is, as scary as it is, this is one of those games where we look up and they get a touchdown or two early and all of a sudden it's a 14-point spread and we're like, gee, I guess that 10 number isn't so big. Warriors have one of the best records in the NBA. Right. Clay Thompson hasn't even played yet. You're saying they're not championship contenders? That's right. Get out of my face. Uh, we're all on the Chiefs, yeah. Joe included. All right, and it doesn't need any more explanation than what you just said. I think Kansas City is the better team, and they're trending upwards. They'll cover the 10. Bills are not trending upwards. Now, as we sit here on a Thursday, they are the seventh and final team in the AFC playoff picture. Seven and five. What a golden opportunity slip away from them that Monday night against New England to, to establish themselves, announce themselves as a team that is ready to consistently take this division away from Belichick and the Patriots and a rookie quarterback. The offense looks like absolute garbage. You know as a Jets guy, there's no love loss here for the Buffalo Bills. Believe me, I'm not going to ever feel bad for them. But as a fellow AFC East team, I can really relate to having to go play Belichick and then go play Brady the next week. Like we kind of thought we were not done with this, but it's like, come on. Now we got to split them up and have a beat down on back-to-back weeks with these two. Um, and that said, this is not a big number, right? I mean, for all the things we're saying about Buffalo here, this is not a big number. Why? I think because Vegas believes the Bills have been so up and down as so many teams have been that, I think, I think Vegas is kind of big. Hey, hey Buffalo is going to find a way on the road here to be better than what they were last week. But I'm not buying it. Are you buying it? No, not buying it. None of us are buying it. They are who we thought they were, right? Isn't that the quote? That's what it is. Denny, Denny Green. Green. Yeah. Uh, no, Tampa Bay at home. The Bills now, like I said earlier, after last week, they're not who I thought they were originally that now they are what they are and what they are is a team that's probably not good enough to go into Tampa Bay and beat them in their building. If they're, if they're playing their game. Tampa Bay is going to figure this thing out as, as injured and suspended right with Antonio Brown as injured and suspended as this team is by that guy. Unbelievable, right. Um, Tampa Bay will find a way to, to, to figure this thing out. I think. But I'll be, you know, I'm rooting for Buffalo in that game because Tampa's on yeah. Green Bay's heels in the, those NFC standings. Niners and Bengals. Now, you're saying to me, Honorado, you showed us a bunch of divisional matchups that were really important, plus Buffalo. What, what's up with this one? Well, what's up with this one is you got a Bengals team just like Buffalo hanging on to that AFC playoff picture, and San Francisco, who's been up and down, and they're trying to get in. So this is this feels like a real make or break kind of game for these two teams as they chase a wild card. So I know by the way, I mean Cincinnati's not out of the picture for the AFC North, but but this feels like kind of a make or break game 
for these two teams, even though it is one NFC, one AFC, and the Bengals can't figure them out. They blow out Pittsburgh one week. I picked against them. I had the Steelers. I see Cincinnati kill the Steelers. So I say, okay, they figured it out. Then I picked Cincinnati last week. What happens? Yeah. They get down 24 nothing to Chargers before coming back and then ultimately losing by 19 points, I think it was. So I don't know what to make of this Bengals team. I'm not going to pretend like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing some things that clearly I know are going to continue into week 14. What am I doing, though? I'm taking the Bengals here. They're at home. I have to believe in Joe Burrow. I have to believe in Jamar Chase. Mixon did not run the ball well at all last week. Of course, you get down big, you're not going to run the football. But I'm on the Bengals here to play well. Okay, me too. You just said all the reasons why. This is a game, frankly, you could just throw a dart at the dartboard and who knows what's going to happen, as you just pointed out. Nick, um, I, I did give Mr. a – Mr. Uday, uh, shocking, <laughs> a shocking development here that he's taking the Bengals over the Niners. But guess what, Nick? This week, Chris and I are with you, so I will give you a who day, data team that's going to get the win this week. And Joe is a big Niners fan. Uh, he is taking his San Francisco – 49ers. All right, before we get to the Sunday night game of the week, which I will stay up late to watch despite having to get up early each and every single morning, we want to give a couple of shout-outs here. If you are going out to watch the games this weekend, maybe even on a Thursday night, check out a few of the places we really like. Swifties in Del Mar. What do you know about Swifties in Del Mar? Tipsy Moose in Latham. Good spot. How about Clancy's Tavern, downtown Saratoga Springs? Shout-out to the Clancy family. And if you just want to kind of hang out bags at home and enjoy a pick six vodka and club or a pick six vodka mule, you can do that by picking up a bottle. Go see our guy, Marco Callahan at exit nine wine and liquor, uh, obviously off exit nine in half moon. Um, all right, let's get to the Sunday night game here. And of course I said it, I'm staying up late Sunday. Yes. Why? Cause the Packers are playing and it's Packers-Bears, man. It's the greatest NFL rivalry in history. No two teams have played one another more than these two teams. Packers, Aaron Rodgers saying, I still own you. He was asked if he regretted that phrase this week. He said, no, I do he not. Does anything? No, I don't think he does, man. Not the way that guy lives his life. No, yeah. So, look, it's a big number, 12 and a half. It's not, not a big number. It's Green Bay. All you need to look at for this game is the records. It's Green Bay. This is a primetime game at home for Aaron Rodgers against a team that has half as many wins as it has losses. Yeah. Enough said. No, yeah. that's not a big number in this game. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. All right. Those are our picks. You want to take another quick look at them here? I've got them for you to compare very quickly. I'm alone on Washington. Joe's alone on Cleveland. We're all on the Chiefs. We're all on the Bucks. Joe's on an island with the Niners, and we are all on the Green Bay Packers. So maybe not a ton of variety this week. We're going to know a lot. really shakes out for us. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll let you decide. Uh, when we come back from the break here, though, our conversation with renowned artist James Fiorentino. Wait till you hear some of the people that he has worked with in the sports world. And wait till you see some of his work it is unbelievable especially coming from two guys who cannot do anything 
artistically. Back right after this on Honorado and Bagnardi. Your quality of sleep can have a huge impact on your health and your relationship. Get your life back with a game changer in sleep apnea treatment. A custom fit mouthpiece from Dr. Frederick Dreyer. It stops snoring instantly. Call the Integrative Sleep Center today. Get outside and play this winter with Alpenhaus. We have Vocal, Atomic, Nordica, Blizzard, LipTech, GNU, K2, and more stock arriving daily. Check out our selection of snowshoes and cross-country too. Perform better with a fresh tune from our in-house experts and the Wintersteiger Mercury Tuning Machine. Alpenhaus, your source for fun for 57 years. Amsterdam and Clifton Park Center. If you're overweight, if you snore, don't wait for your next physical to find out you have sleep apnea. It could cost you your job. Call Dr. Frederick Dreyer at the Integrative Sleep Center for a game-changing alternative in sleep apnea treatment and get a good night's rest. And now, back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Brought to you by Alpenhaus. Welcome back to Honorado and Bagnardi. I'm I'm fired up for this upcoming guest bags because I have probably the least amount of artistic talent that could actually get into a human body. That's not true because that's me. Uh, <laughs> again, we're really outclassed as we always are by our guests on this show, but in particular by today's guests. I I can't draw anything, nothing. And and I'm okay with that. I, I you know I lean more on the writing side. You know everybody yeah. has something that they go to. I cannot draw at all, and I'm fascinated by people who have any kind of artistic talent, let alone the talent that our guest has. I, I'm the same way. Like I mean, I, I struggled even to give you a, a good stick figure. And and there must be something in my brain that doesn't work because I always think like if you're ever in a situation where. Uh, a police artist renderer said to you, can you describe the suspect? No. So maybe I just don't have that attention for detail. I have no idea. Well, let's just hope that the artist rendering doesn't look like you. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, here is our guest. And it is James Fiorentino, who has done some of the most incredible uh, work that I've ever seen in terms of just sports landscape if you will james it's it's so great to have you on the show man thank you for taking the time with us we have roots that that i'll describe as we go along here in this interview but uh and your work has been featured all over the place and i know it just continues to get bigger and bigger first of all how are you good thanks for having me on i i feel much better about myself this morning after that intro so i feel like i'm doing something good here drawing <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I know I've seen interviews with you. I know this started at a very young age. So just for our audience, though, and, and I'm going to point everybody to the website, certainly, which is just yourname.com, um, check out the gallery there, and you'll get a feel immediately for the great work you've done here. Um, and then we'll talk about some of the exhibits you have up and, and some of the athletes you've been able to work with. But when did you know that this is actually something you were pretty good at? How young were you? Yeah, I mean, I think like any artist, you know, it was something that was, you know, I was blessed with and always in me. You know, I just always talk about how I was drawing ever since I can remember. I mean, literally, like I just wanted to paint and draw every day. And, uh, you know, my parents were, uh, you know, 
seeing that as well and, and, and had me take private lessons when I was eight. I'm working with adults and learning all different mediums. So, you know, it was always something I wanted to do. And, you know, obviously when anyone who paints and when you're younger, you know, you start painting things that you love, uh, which eventually the sports thing sort of, you know, came in there once I got old enough when you're starting to play sports. So it was, it was a very young age when I was combining both those things. So it's almost exclusively watercolors that you go with, right? I mean, is that, and I know Chris is going to show some of the pictures here in a bit. Um, is what kind of made you hone in on, on that style? Yeah, here we go. I mean, that's not a photograph you're looking at, people. I mean, I know it appears that way. So explain this. This is watercolor, and, and what is what does that mean? How do you how do you take that and turn it into something like this? Yeah. So you know, I've painted in every medium. You know, growing up and throughout my career. You know, not not in the sports side of it and these things, but, you know, I think it's because when I was younger, like I was mentioning, I had studied with two great watercolor painters, um, but I had I had painted everything. Even, you know, when I was in college, I was painting in oils and acrylic and, you know, uh, but I always gravitated towards watercolor. I think maybe because of that early age and doing that, I also felt like from what I what I was doing at a young age it was separating me and even today from everyone else. So, you know, I wasn't competing with people painting oils and acrylic. Maybe I, I love the watercolor because it wasn't messy, who knows, but I paint it as if it's oil and acrylic. I paint it in more of a unique tight photorealistic style. Um, and so that way and style of painting in watercolor, whether it's sports or portraits of famous people, everyday life or landscapes or wildlife or whatever I've painted, you know, that gives me recognition nationally, internationally. And I think that's what also separates me from a lot of the artists and a lot of the artists who obviously work in sports and the fact that I get to work directly with these players. You know, like those paintings you just showed, for example, um, you know, Michael Strahan owns the original and he's a friend. And the Brady I did for the cover of PSA magazine. So they're, they have, you know, all of this work that I'm doing has a great connection a lot of the times to the players themselves. Yeah, you're you're at a point, James, where like you're not just mess. I mean, I, I imagine somewhere in the room you you've got just a little bit of artwork that maybe no one will see, but you're beyond like ah, just mess around and do something here. I would imagine is most of your work now done because you've been commissioned to do so. Somebody has asked you, hey, will you do the cover of this magazine or hey, will you do something in in large form that I can hang on my wall? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's a really great problem to have where I, I can tell people now I'm booked for a year to two years, but I always I always leave um, time open for great projects and, and different things. And certainly if I get a chance to do something I love, which can be sports, it could be painting a landscape or something you know special. But recently, you know, whether it's doing a, a project for Tops or for a, hall, a college hall of fame or for magazine covers or for the players themselves and obviously all these bigger projects I've been working on, whether it's the there's only one. So it's nice to obviously have like that set of work constantly, but there's always really cool things that are coming up. And when you talk about the world of sports, that's a beautiful thing. There's just so much, you know, you know, young players and, and, and great things happening that there's, there's always something there to, to be done and something new. So it's a very exciting uh, time for me and uh, time for collectors and the world of sports. And I've been lucky enough to do it for a living since I was like 15 almost. So um, it's been it's been a long time, even though I'm, I'm a young guy, I've been doing it for, for very long. So. So what is your process in creating some of this stuff? Like, obviously, I imagine you sit there with the, the photograph that you're essentially duplicating. Right. And, and, and how do you how do you start? You know, where, where do you begin? Is it something like 
you kind of, if it's a face, you start with a face. Is it something to kind of work from the middle out? I mean, I, you know, Chris and I have no idea here. I mean, that's not, that's not a card. That's, that's a painting that you made. It's just incredible to look at it. How do you duplicate something so realistically and what is your process of doing so and how long does it take? Yeah. So, you know, all the work, you know, especially because it's done so tight and so realistic and has to be accurate, especially when you're, you're painting an athlete, I'll work from really great reference material, bunch of different pictures, changing up backgrounds, the players, the colors, you know, all different things like that. Uh, it's all drawn out in pencil. So it's all hand done. And, and really the magic is with the watercolor. Paintings can take uh, days, weeks, you know, it depends on the size, the detail. It's many, many hours. I've been very disciplined to sort of paint, you know, as a job. I, you know, I work sometimes seven days a week, but, you know, I'm painting every day. Uh, could be many hours a day. could be a few hours a day, depending on what I'm doing. Um, so it is a process of really understanding what you're doing uh, from the beginning of, 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 of creating this great piece to, to the finished product. As far as the cards are concerned, which is very, very fun to do and very hard and challenging, actually, you know, you're going from something so small to something so large. So you lose a lot when you go that big. And these paintings and, you know, cards I'm doing are very iconic. Like if you're a collector, you know what these cards look like. So to be able to paint them in watercolor and paint them the way that I do is a lot of fun. You know, the Tops project was the opposite. I was painting on something for the first time this year for Tops Transcendent that was so tiny uh, that was very challenging. So, um, but the, the, the there's only one project is, is is fun because there's just so many cards and so many things that you know you can do with it. Uh, you know, along the next, you know, two three years of of maybe doing this project, and you know, I just feel like they're masterpieces themselves. So to be able to replicate them in the way that I do it is, is a lot of fun. And collecting has just blown up again. I mean, Bags and I are both in our, I'm now in my late 30s, Bags in his mid 30s. And so, you know, we grew up collecting cards. I still have them in the basement. Did you see this coming? When when you saw the reemergence of cards and collecting, did you think there's going to be large scale artwork uh, ahead of me? Yeah, you know, it, truthfully, it was, it was um, a partner and a good friend of mine, Joe Drellick from East Coast Sports Marketing, who's been doing this for like 30 years and and been a fan of my work and a friend. And this was during the pandemic and we were just talking about stuff. And he said, you know what, I would love for you to do a series of paintings that are on the most iconic sports cards ever. And I said, man, that's a great idea and good time for me. And in all my career, all the athletes that I've worked with and things I've done, I really haven't painted cards, you know, many times like this at all. I mean, I've worked for Tops and Upper Deck and all these companies where you know, my paintings are on the cards, but I never replicated the greatest cards of all time. So it was sort of something that I thought would be, you know, really fun and amazing to do and a challenge again, but also obviously good timing and it's very popular. And it, it, it sort of brings back my story from doing this since I was a kid and working with all these guys. And, you know, that's really nice because there's so many young and new collectors that don't know who I am or the guys who do know who I am. They're being reminded of everything I've done. So um, it is really good timing to be doing this. Uh, when everything is kind of exploding in the sports world. Do you have a favorite athlete to paint? And do you have a favorite painting that you've done, maybe that you've kept or one that you haven't kept that just stands out to you as your favorite? Yeah, I've been very lucky. I mean, honestly, I think when I tell people who I've met painted, they they almost can't believe it. So this is going back to meeting Joe Muhammad Ali and working for Ted Williams and being Cal's official artist when he breaks the streak. And that painting right there, I was only 17 years old. So to me, 
Wow. I always feel like that'll stick out as the greatest painting I've ever done. I, I, I think it'll be one of the greatest sports paintings ever done because it was done for Ted personally. You know, I flew out to meet him. I'm in high school. He picks these 20 greatest hitters. You know, I fly back out months later and I'm sitting next to Mantle, Mays, Ted Williams. So, you know, meeting those guys and looking back, um, that will always be the most significant thing to me because obviously I get to meet all these current players and I get to meet, I've met guys all through the nineties and two thousands, but those hall of famers going back to them, 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, painting for them, you know, being a, you know, being a friend of Yogi's being at his home, all these guys, I mean, it goes on and on and on and, and legendary players, um, uh, you know, of all sports really. So now I look back and I have a story with all these guys and it's just like, I mean, that's the really amazing thing. And now I get to share that with other people, share with my boys. And um, I think that will be something that, you know, a lot of you just, you can't replicate that. It's just history, you know? Thanks. You know, when they say life isn't fair, life isn't fair because James gets that artistic talent, right? That you and I both lacked uh -huh. seriously. He also has athletic talent that we didn't talk about here. I mean, he played college baseball. And James, your buddies with my buddy and the guy Sean knows very well, Brian Hirschberg, who is at Drew and you are at Drew. Uh, and I know you're still local to that area, too. Um, so we showed you so we showed some of the, the, the work you've done in the world of baseball. Is that your number one sport? If you had to pick one that, hey, I'm going to tell you, you can only paint, draw this particular sport the rest of your life. Is it baseball? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it would be, and it, it is great. Like, I think that's the, my passion. I played baseball, basketball, and football growing up. I played baseball in college at Drew University, and I was a shortstop there. I think that probably goes into maybe creating some great work, understanding the games, understanding how to play, and, and, and that sort of respect with the players. Um, I've painted everything. I've painted totally non-traditional sports. Um, I've painted, painted every major sport. And I really enjoy doing all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, my my passion will always be baseball. But, I mean, you know, I just recently finished a Peyton Manning picture, which was just so much fun to do. And I just loved and it's a beautiful piece. So, you know, what I, I, I do love illustrating everything, but there's just something traditional and soulful and special about baseball to me. And it will always be that. Um, and for me, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, but I'm a, I'm a baseball fan. So, um I've always had that passion for guys who I'd never met and the historical side of it. And that's just been something I've had since I was a kid. Is there somebody you've never met or never painted who you still want to? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like I've, I've had the opportunity to paint Michael Jordan every, you know, many, many times. I never met him in person. So there, there's some major guys like that, that I would, you know, love to meet. Um, and like I was mentioning before, just, just so many great young guys, like, you know, like as a baseball guy, my painting was presented to Fernando Tatis Jr. this year for an event, but I wasn't able to be there and, and all the, the, the COVID restrictions. So there will be a lot of younger players that um, that I'm excited to meet in the future. Um, so, you know, and, and then for me, obviously going beyond sports, painting historical people, that's always exciting, whether it was Gorbachev and Desmond Tutu and Buzz Aldrin and Congressman John Lewis. Like on all honesty, like those guys to me, like when I get a chance to meet them, transcend sports obviously it's just amazing to meet those types of people so um and, and so that's that that's another thing that i love to do when i don't have to paint the sports stuff or i'm not painting the sports stuff yeah i was going to ask you um like would you want to do u.s presidential um portraits or 
the royal family. I mean, is, uh, you've got obviously some history already in your arsenal, but does does that interest you in any way? Absolutely. I mean, I had the chance to present a painting to actually President Biden when he wasn't the president at Drew University some years back. And there's always just there's there is something special about certain guys like that and, and certain players that just have an aura around them. You know, maybe some of those legendary guys, there's just something remarkable about them. But yeah, I mean, like even this, I would say past year or so, I, I've had the opportunity to paint some incredible World War Two. Um, gentlemen that have just amazing stories. And when you think about that, and again, I, I think about my, my boys that are eight and 12 and I, I, I tell them all this. And I think that is what's incredible to me. Um, and so being able to paint things like that and a lot of those paintings get to travel to museums and galleries. Um, so there's a really nice connection to just portraits in general. And then obviously when you get to, you know, throw in the sports side of it too with all these guys. It's it's amazing. But I, I just I just love painting portraits of, of everyday life people as well. Is it more fun to paint people athletes who are not currently playing at really the old timers or would you rather paint guys who are active right now and still going and guys you can meet? Yeah, that's a good question. Um I think it's a little exciting to paint the guys currently playing, you know? I think when you get mm -hmm. it like I just I just presented a painting of Trey Mancini at an event last week in New York in Brooklyn. I mean, it's just what an amazing story, you know, comeback player of the year and, 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 and yeah. you know, over overcomes cancer and, and the home run hitting contest. I mean, like just to, to be able to meet him and talk to him for a while, like that was really exciting. And it's a current player, obviously great guy um, and, and something very special. So, yeah, it's very meaningful when the guy is obviously currently playing out there. Um, but but I guess meeting some of these real legendary guys that are still around, um, you know, that's also you know, pretty unique as well. Who is, because we all think we're better looking than we actually are. Who is one person in the past where you were maybe a little nervous to present your work to this person, hoping that they would find it acceptable? Uh, that's a great question. It's probably never athletes. If I had to think, because I've painted so many, you know, non-athletic uh, guys, I would say like, if I'm thinking, like I, I, I presented a painting of Richard Gere. I mean, now we're talking like movie star, good looks, you know, you better paint him really, really, <laughs> you know, accurate. And uh, he was awesome. And it was a really beautiful painting of him and his son. Um, so it's probably been a lot of things like that. You know, the baseball guys, the sports guys are very gritty. You know, you got yeah. a lot of like, you know, you can kind of paint them in that way. And it's very sport like, but I think anytime you're probably painting actors or, you know, that sort of thing. You better be, uh, you know, painting them very, very uh, well. There was a great interview you did in studio and we showed the picture uh, at MLB Network. And I know you mentioned it there. It's where I picked this up. I had no idea. You're the youngest artist ever to have a work hanging in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Is that right? You were 15 years old, a piece of work you did that ended up at the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, when I when I met the Maggio, I was 14 and that was at just a regular show. I was wanting to get something signed. I kind of I guess kind of kicked off that I could do this. And, you know, simply writing to the hall. I tell people all the time, artists, I, you know, I wrote to the Hall of Fame and I said, you know, I had been there with my family and saw Rockwells and Warhols and said I would love my work there one day. And they I must have sent a picture of the Reggie I did and they put it in. I said, we'd love to have your artwork there. I was 15 years old. And I think that all catapulted me into like doing the work for Ted Williams at 17 and then being Cal's official artist when I was still in high school going into Drew University. I was I was only, you know, 18, 17. So starting at a very young age, being very 
you know, even today, like hustling and really getting your work out there and showing people it's not as competitive back then as it was now, even though there were a lot of guys doing it. Um, but right place at the right time, all those really good things, you know, got into the Society of Illustrators in New York City at a very young age, at like 19. So that was really painting professionally at that time and, and working in watercolor and doing all, all types of things, even other than sports at, at that young age. And that got me a lot of press, as you guys know, growing up, like, you know, I was in central New Jersey. So I started getting a lot of the New York press, ABC, NBC. Yeah. And once that happened, and then I did Ripken, it was all national press. It was like the great Dick Schaap interviewing me for ABC World News and New York Times and and Fox and CBS this morning. I was Cal's uh, guest at 2130 and 31 and being on the field after. I mean, it goes on and on. And, you know, being on these shows at the Derby from ESPN, like I, I there's been so many um, really wonderful things. I feel blessed that I was able to do even media wise and still get to do. And uh, the MLB Network thing you guys showed, like that was a ton of fun being there. I'm a fan of that show. So to kind of be there and see the guys. So it's that's the other cool things you get and the cool perks from being able to do this stuff. Wow, what a step down for us to go to us. I'll tell you what. Uh, how I was curious, how many paintings do you work on at a time? Do you go one at a time or do you have multiple that you're doing? And what are you working on right now? Like you're done with this interview, you're getting right back to work on it. Great, great question. So I try to stick with one thing and finish it. Hmm. There are times where I will sketch things out ahead of time. I really want to have it be approved or um, it has to be autographed by a player or I'm just you know trying to get a couple things in there that I really want to make sure I'm doing it right. But 90 percent of the time, it's one painting, you know, doing it now. Uh, some of the stuff now I'm working on is some fun stuff for some clients. Um, I had just finished that Peyton Manning painting, which um, is going to be a new brand of mine called Fiorentino Elite, which is, you know, high end, larger upscale paintings of the greatest players of all time in all different cool. sports, which is super wow. cool that we're going to release next year. And Peyton's one of the guys I painted on that all autographed by the players. Um, so I'll do a couple of those kind of pieces now, and then I'm moving back on to there's only one working on a lot of those trading cards for some clients and eventually moving on to the next part of that. So a lot of stuff lined up ahead of me. It's a good problem to have, but I, I do try to paint one thing at a time, finish it, and then move on to the next piece. And you're in Saratoga every summer for Ciro's cup. I mean, that James is the official artist at Ciro's cup every single summer in Saratoga to kick off the racing season. I don't know if this next this question it'll be my last is insulting in any way but it's where we are headed in the art world to a degree do you ever see yourself getting into nfts creating developing nft work yeah you know i've been asked obviously a lot i'm sure that'll come up my work i obviously don't do anything digital i'm old school you can obviously still use my work in an nft uh way it's even new for me i mean i'm always up for anything and moving into the future um i have to really get behind something you know so i really yep. have to understand it and want to do it because i really want people to buy my stuff and feel like they're getting something great i've always been that way um so i'm a, I'm a very hands-on touch physical kind of person that's why i love newspapers still and magazines and seeing it and holding it and touching it i know that's a new wave of of of, of things with the nfts um so you know i'm sure that'll be something down the road and even thinking about like Saratoga, I'm sure even even some of the stuff like that with the horse racing and NFTs, and I'm sure that 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 could happen down the road as well. But the Saratoga thing that that's been 20 years. This will be the 20th year in a row I'm doing it, which is crazy to think about it. And um, I know you know you're up in the area. It's just one of our favorite places to go. We just love love being in the Lake George, um, Saratoga area, and um, 
so that's another really, again, wonderful experience I get to do every year. Well, we've got to connect when you're up this next summer. Um, we got to connect the three of us. And uh, it's such great work that the Center for Disability Services does. And Ann Costigan Schneider's a, a friend. And so they, they do such great work, man. It's very cool that that you're part of that. Look, when Hirsch comes calling with his Ken Griffey Jr. request, don't <laughs> don't cut him a deal, okay? You know, make sure you're getting what it's worth. That's that is the perk, right? Like that's the stuff nobody knows about. Like Hirsch is going to get something great. Listen, he's already picked out something that like, you know, it's taken him a long time. Let me put you that way. He has it's taken him a long time to finally like me doing him this favor. But when it's done, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I have no doubt. James, man, this was a lot of fun. Uh, great to show off some of your work, but really cool to learn about, you know, your process and and the the people that you've come across so far, uh, as you said, really still young in your career, man. Continued success and, and let's grab that drink in Saratoga next summer. Teams. Athletes. Organizations. We're transforming the custom apparel industry through product and purpose. Claim your crown. At Marcello's Appliance Center, our commitment is to you, providing essential appliances that families depend on for cooking, refrigeration, cleaning, and sanitation, plus appliance repair. You can have peace of mind that Marcella's is here for you today and every day, like we have been since 1957, helping you make the right choice with trusted brands like Whirlpool, Maytag, KitchenAid, Genair, and many more. Shop Marcella's Appliance Center in-store, online, or by phone. We're here for you. And now, back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Brought to you by Alpen House. All right, Bags. Let's get on out of here, man. You've got Christmas shopping to do. I've got Christmas shopping to do. The all-important update next week on how we're doing with that, huh? What do you say? That was a lot of fun talking to James Fiorentino. You want to check out his work, go to his website. Like I said, just his name.com. Yeah, man. It was good fun. He did... He does incredible work. You really should check out his gallery he's got online because you see so much more of it. It's awesome stuff. Yeah, good stuff. All right, thanks for hanging out and watching everybody live from Alpen House in Amsterdam.